Henry Bartels is a debut suspense novelist. Um, he caught my eye because his proposal had a Stephen James endorsement already our AT&T studio, Zachary Bartels, is with us, the author of Playing Saints. Saints come marching in, the power of faith and the reality of evil, and uh, we've got Zachary Bartels with us today. There are a lot of really good Christian novels out there. They're just not published by Christian companies or advertised as Christian novels. Years of declining sales, Family Christian Stores announced on Friday that it will be permanently closing all 240 of its stores by the end. What's fascinating about the Christian market, though, is that the big five don't dominate outside of Harper Concert. And the 2015 Carol Award for debut novel is presented to Kate Breslin for such a time as this. Writing Christian fiction, exclusively Christian type fiction, is not where you want to be right now. Okay. This is Clinch, a podcast of fiction and not fiction. Okay, this is probably about as brashly self-promotional as I am going to get. But hey, it's Christmas, the time of brashly self-promotional consumerism. Am I right? No? According to Hans Gruber, Christmas is the season of miracles. But then again, he was just after millions of dollars in bearer bonds. So either way, I'm coming out looking okay. It's coming up on a season where, pastorally, I don't have, how you say, a ton of extra time. So I don't have much for you by way of not fiction. Besides, the book is about to get uh, kind of frantically exciting, if I do say so myself. And it kind of doesn't stop being that way until the very end. So I feel kind of like people are going to want me to get out of the way of the story uh, more and more as the podcast ramps up toward the climax. So today, let me just tell you, as you do your consumeristic Christmas shopping, maybe think about people in your life who like reading suspense, especially suspense with Christian themes, uh, suspense with secret societies and Vatican agents, suspense with police procedurals or maybe con men and grifts and heists. And think about uh, getting them a book by Zachary Bartles. In fact, I will sell you one. See, that's what I was talking about with the whole Brashley self-promotional thing. But hey, all authors do this, and it only really makes sense when you got boxes full of books, and you'd love to get them into the hands of readers. I'd happily uh, sign a book to whomever you would like me to sign it to and send it off. Let me quickly run through this. The Last Con, which is the story of a con man who goes to prison, finds Jesus, comes back out, wonders if he really was converted or if he'd been conning himself only to find himself dragged back into not only the world of grifting, but also the obligatory centuries-old conspiracy. I think this one is possibly my best book, but few people agree with me. That one, and Playing Saint, and the sequel, Playing Saint All Souls Day, uh, those are going to be 11 bucks. I'll ship it to you, don't worry about shipping, and I'll sign it. And this is, of course, for anyone who's in the continental United States of America. I can't be shipping around the world and eating the cost of that. Uh, and any two of those, if you want The Last Con and Playing Saint, which are my two HarperCollins books, uh, or Playing Saint and the sequel, um, you know, how about 18 bucks? Throw me 18 bucks. You can do that by emailing me at Zach at ZacharyBartles.com. Once again, that's Zach with an H, which is the right way to spell Zach. And uh, by the way, these are lower prices than you'll find at any online seller at the moment. In fact, this is kind of a double-edged sword, but with the release of All Souls Day, I've seen a huge spike in sales of The Last Con and Playing Saint. And at present, 
both are quote unquote temporarily out of stock on Amazon. So you can get them from Barnes and Noble or, or uh, Christianbook.com or Books a Million and, and all these different places, but you're not going to get the, the prime shipping and everything you would have gotten at Amazon. So, hey, come to me, come to the source. I can hook you up. Other books, The Christian Gentleman's Smoking Companion, which hilariously is the book of mine that is most successful, has sold the most copies. Uh, and that one's a, a gut check press book that I did with my friend Ted Cluck. Uh, that's about cigars and pipes. And it has kind of life sketches of different theologians over the years who smoked cigars and pipes. Uh, it has advice on how to do it. It has all sorts of humor and stuff. A lot of, a lot of education, edutainment, as they say. I'm letting that one go for uh, eight bucks a uh, copy. And that's the paperback. I only have paperbacks. Uh, you'd have to get your hardcover copies online and get those on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And then if you really want a hardcover of the new one playing St. All Souls Day, uh, I'm not sure why. You must just kind of like live large and do everything, you know, real big and all the way. Uh, those are, I, I gotta, I gotta go with 20 bucks on those because I don't know about you other uh, authors who have, who have been hybrid authors and indie authors, but I found that, uh, it's not easy to price a hardcover book with a dust jacket competitively, like how it would be in a bookstore. Uh, there's something about the print on demand process with a, with a hardcover book and a dust jacket that makes it more expensive. Oh, and one more. This is, a little out there, but I've got a few copies that I unearthed of a book called 42 Months Dry. It's now out of print. Uh, it's a story of the prophet Elijah, but uh, with swords and chariots and choice stores of oil and grain now replaced with car chases and guns and cigarettes. And I, I think it's a good story. Uh, I wrote it uh, years ago, and I'm actually in the process of kind of rebooting it into what I hope will be the beginning of a trilogy. Some exciting stuff on the horizon with that. But in the meantime, uh, you may want to check uh, this book out. It's got a little bit uh, of a cult following, and it makes me feel happy when people uh, say, hey, how come I can't get a hold of that book? How come it's not for sale anywhere anymore? Uh, well, for just a, a brief twinkling moment of time, it's for sale right here through the Clinch podcast. And, you know, supply and demand, there's not too many of them where I'm going to I'm gonna let those, those puppies go for 15 bucks a pop and I'll sign it and, and send it off to you. Any of those sound good to you, pick your interest, something you want for yourself for some holiday reading or for a family member or friend uh, to give away as a gift, just shoot me an email, zach at zacharybartles.com. I'm always happy to put a little note. Uh, you can even tell me what to write, uh, and I'll sign them and send them out. Uh, and uh, goes without saying... There is a limited quantity because my, my closet's only so big and there's only so many books in there. And I almost said something like, no worries, I won't run out. But last time I thought that was at my release event for All Souls Day. And I sold every single copy of the book and still had people asking about it. So, hey, move quickly. Oh, my gosh, this is just getting shameless. I've got to stop. Uh, you know what? Let's leave all that tacky stuff behind and we'll join Trenton Marsh up at Picture Falls Christian Camp. Previously, on Clinch. It's not even a story, Trenton warned. Oh, yes, it is, Jason assured. The very year they outlawed climbing this hill, Trent and I were hiking the Devil's Tail. You're going to find out soon that the way up is kind of steep, but the way down is nuts. And it's really we start daring each other to run down. But Big T here, he wants to pass me. So he just starts running as fast as he can, and he completely loses all control. And for some reason, he comes up behind me and decides to stop himself by grabbing a hold of me. So he basically tackles me. 
and I hit the ground and we're going so fast that he's like riding me down the trail like a toboggan through the sand. Back out of the bathroom, he stopped short. Jason's mom stood at the foot of the bed, chomping gum like a cow chewing cud. Mrs. Dufresne, what are you doing here? He asked. Didn't your dad tell you? I'm your ride to camp. Clinch, a novel, chapter 20. Quote, our perceptions determine our reality. How do you start each day? What's your mindset? What are your expectations? Will it be a great adventure worthy of retelling or just another slow leak of 24 precious hours? You decide. God Wants You to Live Well Now by Joshua Holton. From the Forward by Stephen Branding. Trent desperately wished he had brought Walcott's diary with him, not because he was still in treasure-hunting mode, but because the kind of concentration required to read it would discourage Mrs. Dufresne's constant yammering, or at least drown it out. For more than five hours, she droned on and on about Jason's recent behavior, all the smart comments and backtalk, sneaking out and using her van without permission. Through all this, she continued circling, but never quite touched the notion that Trent was the bad influence to blame for the corruption of her little angel, Jason. Trent just fiddled with his phone and occasionally a hud. When they finally arrived, Trent vacated the van as quickly as humanly possible, offering a half-hearted thanks over his shoulder. However, as he strode onto the grounds of the camp, backpack slung over his shoulder, he wished he could return to the familiarity of the Dufresne family vehicle and even to Mrs. Dufresne's nasal chatter. Factoring in all the weekends and youth retreats he'd attended, this was probably the 20th time he'd been to Picture Falls, but only the second time he'd been here without Judith. He missed her like crazy. Looking around, he saw five other teens milling awkwardly in bright orange Insane Faith t-shirts, along with two middle-aged women in same. He recognized the students from camp over the years, but none had really been his friends. In fact, the triumvirate of he, Jason, and Judith had usually kept to themselves up here. Trent suddenly felt very alone. Still, he was glad for this group of people, each of whom was a potential witness to keep Brian Green and his men at bay. Brian knew about this retreat, Trent reminded himself. They'd talked about it more than once. Even out here in the woods, Trent was not out of the woods, danger-wise. Exchanging greetings and handshakes with the two other boys, Trent realized that he was very much underpacked. The others had suitcases, pillows, and sleeping bags. Trent had three changes of clothes and a few toiletries stuffed into a backpack. And now a fluorescent orange Insane Faith t-shirt, which he had been ordered to don. He couldn't, though. Not with his dad in the hospital, Zoe on the run, Judith probably hunting her down, and Stephen Branding dead in a box. The sight of Sean Taylor's cocky grin set his mind at ease a bit. The young man sauntered up to him and gave him a playful punch in the arm. Hey, camper, he bellowed. Good to see ya. You ready for this stuff? It's gonna be intense. Trent deflated a bit. He'd had more than enough intensity of late. Yeah, should be fun, he said, trying to generate some enthusiasm of his own. Can't wait. That's all you brought? Sean asked, indicating the backpack. Yeah, I like the travel light. My man, Sean said. Okay, circle up, people. Mike Van Buren called, gesturing broadly for the small group to converge around him. When they had, he said, Welcome to Youth Leadership Boot Camp. This is how we'll be doing things, okay? He gestured to the loose huddle around him. On the go, not in the program center in folding chairs. You won't be listening, you'll be doing. 
This was only the second time Trent had seen Mike up close, and it struck him just how young Van Buren looked. Still, his confidence commanded attention and projected competence. You six are it. The few, the proud, Mike laughed. We were supposed to have seven, the perfect number, but one recruit had to drop out at the last minute. His eyes seemed to linger on Trent's for just a moment, bringing a high tide of nerves. Mike clapped once, loudly, and waited for the echo to bounce back from the dining hall. We're kicking things off right now with no icebreakers and no nonsense. You'll be working on a team-building activity with Jen by the fire pit, and throughout the morning, we'll be taking each of you, one at a time, on a unique personal challenge. Going to be a lot of growth this week and throughout the year. All right, follow Jen and get ready to grow. Trent turned to follow the crowd, but Mike snagged his arm. You're first, Marsh, he said. Time to step up. Okay, Trent said. He was annoyed, but not really. Whatever this was, best to get it out of the way. Where should I put my stuff? He asked. Bring it with you. Mike led him back toward the nurse's cabin, Sean following a few feet behind. He had a red vinyl drawstring backpack over one shoulder, bearing the words, Clinch Rock High, 2012. Trent wondered what it contained. I assume you've been up the devil's tail before, Mike said, without looking back at him. Oh, yeah, lots of times. Mike snickered. Well, this time might be a little different. They ascended the familiar trail at a pace Trent could barely maintain. Every time he stopped to catch his breath, Van Buren goaded him to immediately resume the climb with such helpful chants as, Insane faith! Insane faith! And, You got this! You're an animal, Marsh! Animals don't rest! Yes, they do, you idiot, he wanted to say, but he didn't have the wind for it. When they finally reached the high point of the trail, Trenton collapsed, trying to force himself to breathe deeply. The crash of the falls above, which were just barely visible through the conifers, helped to relax him. You like history, Trent? Mike asked, smiling. He wasn't the least short of breath. Trent just nodded. Did you know that all the land for this camp was donated by a millionaire named Benjamin Cassell? Guy was given away practically everything he owned in the last year of his life, and he gave this to the Michigan Christian Convention. He said it should be a site for family retreat. You know, I've been thinking... If Cassell was going to hide something, this is where he'd have hidden it. Lots of land, no one likely to venture too far from the main buildings. What do you think, Marsh? In that moment, Trent knew what Spider-Man's sixth sense felt like. There was no visible threat. Everyone was smiling. The topic of conversation was benign, maybe boring, but there was a very real danger. He stood and unconsciously clocked possible exit routes. There was the way they'd come up the incredibly steep and sandy path down, and the thick woods all around them. I'm not sure what you mean, Trent said, his voice quavering. Oh, you know more than you let on. He took a step closer to Trent, looking him right in the eye. The smile was gone, now replaced by unmasked malice. His breath was hot on Trent's face, hanging with the remnants of some fruity sports drink. Where's the diary, Marsh? he asked. Trent tried to answer, but couldn't. Not while his brain was grinding against this new development. Sean was here. Sean was part of this. Trent thought of the CFB tattoo on his arm, of Sean's minor brushes with the law through the years. That made sense. But who was Mike Van Buren? And how did all this relate to what was an official activity of the camp? A burst of pain in Trent's solar plexus sent him down to his hands and knees, spreading out like ripples through a pond. It's rude not to answer people, Marsh, Mike said. Check his pack. Trent felt his backpack zip open and Sean rifling roughly through it. 
I'll take this, Sean said, removing Trent's cell phone and sliding it into his drawstring bag. Trent couldn't help but think about Dan Barton and his wrestling friends lumbering through the halls with almost identical bags, loudly making jokes about their sack packs. It's not here, Sean announced. Trent was able to breathe again, but not without pain. I'm going to ask you this one more time, Mike said, reaching under his shirt and pulling a handgun from his waistband at the small of his back. Where's the diary, Trent? Sean, too, was holding a gun now, a snub-nosed revolver. I... I don't... Everything was swirling around Trent. Nothing was clear except this. If he told them where to find the diary, they would kill him. Why else would they be so transparent about all this? They'd drag him up to the falls and drown him, or push him down a steep embankment where he'd break his neck. An extreme physical challenge during a quote-unquote boot camp was the perfect explanation for his death. Sure, the camp's insurance premiums would go through the roof and they might be sued, but no criminal charges would stick to Mike and Sean, not like this. Besides, they obviously knew something he did not about the treasure's whereabouts. If the diary gave them the last piece of the puzzle, they'd be instantly rich beyond their wildest dreams, even if they only got a cut from Brian Green. They'd disappear, held accountable for nothing. No, he couldn't tell them what they wanted to know. You stupid kid, Mike shouted. I told you, I'm not asking again. What I will do is count. To three. He jerked Trent up to his knees. You don't tell me what I want to know. I will blow your head off. One. Hey, slow down, Sean said. He's just scared. I mean, let the guy... Shut up, Sean. Turn around. You're not going to want to see this. Two. Sean turned his back. For some reason, this brought the swirling to a stop. This was real. This was happening. And Trent was aware, almost hyper-aware now. He could feel the gun behind him, see his camp counselor looking away down the steep trail. Then, in a flash, he saw Jason. He saw them running down the devil's tail five, maybe six years ago. Trent was out of control. He connected with Jason, and the two of them went sailing down, pinballing their way down the trail, Trent clinging to his friend like a sled flying down an icy hill. Mike's tongue was chambered against his teeth, the last number forming in his mouth. Trent was aware of this, too. Then he saw his hands, both closed around fistfuls of sandy soil. With one motion, he threw them both back over his shoulders in the direction of Mike's face and burst to his feet, tackling Sean from behind. The two of them hit the sand and immediately began picking up speed. They bounced against rocks and trees and banked around corners. They caught some air, and as they landed, Trent saw the revolver bounce out of Sean's hand and out into the thick scrub. As with poor Jason years earlier, Sean was taking the worst of the beating, his eyes and nose filling with sand and his body raking against stones and sticks buried shallowly beneath them. This, of course, is why the Devil's Tale was now off-limits to campers. The trail bent sharply ahead of them, but their momentum carried them straight on, up out of the rut and directly into a beech tree. Sean's head collided with the solid trunk, crunching back against his neck. Trent launched from the man's back, but was able to bring his hands up in time to avoid the same fate. He pushed himself off the tree and landed in the dirt, sliding a few feet. Trent gathered himself and slowly approached Sean's still form, almost certain that he was dead. No, he was breathing, shallow but steady. They needed help, both of them. His one-time counselor needed to be strapped to a backboard and airlifted to a hospital, Trent just needed a way out of here without getting shot. 
The red vinyl bag was still wrapped over Sean's shoulder. It was tight, tangled up with the sleeve of his t-shirt, but Trent managed to loosen the drawstring and reach in. Where was his phone? He thought he'd find it near the top, but during their ride, everything had gotten moved around. There was a hoodie sweatshirt, a couple of power bars, a magazine. Sean was stirring now, and Trent made the hardest choice of his life up to that point. Forget the phone and get out of there. Pointing himself in the general direction of the camp proper, he ran into the woods, off the path. He prayed for God's protection and for guidance, but first, he thanked God that he was wearing khaki shorts and a forest green t-shirt, blending into his surroundings, while his pursuers were both decked out in bright orange, insane faith. Clinch, a podcast of fiction and not fiction, is a Cardiff Giant production. Copyright 2017, Zachary Bartles. Produced in partnership with KD Enterprises. Theme music composed and performed by Bill Colon. Excerpted text from Clinch, a novel. Copyright 2017, Gutcheck Press. Special thanks to WAC Productions, www.wacfilm.com. For more information about me and my books, visit ZacharyBartles.com. If you'd like to drop me a note, you can reach me by email at Zach at ZacharyBartles.com. That's Zach with an H, like God intended. Or through the U.S. mail at P.O. Box 10003, Lansing, Michigan, 48901. Naturally, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter at Author Z Bartles. And if you're a little twisted, you might want to check out the Gut Check Podcast, www.gutcheckpress.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Good.